Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. Hey friends, this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast is really, really special. It's our new category called Smarts, where I am here to help educate you as neutrally as I can on issues that otherwise feel really overwhelming. And I'm really excited to do this episode with you all about human trafficking and the sex trade to educate you on what's going on. And I thought, who better to bring on the show than Anna Patak, who is a speaker and an advocate And she's also an ethical fashion designer and a policy consultant, really helping the world when it comes to having overcome trafficking herself and standing in the power for other people to overcome it as well. And before we get into this episode, I know most of you who have been listening to the podcast know that usually I'll do an interview and then at the end, I'll kind of unpack it and talk to you about what I thought. And this felt so deep inside of me, like this conversation I had with Anna, listening to her story, listening to how she uh, became a victim of human trafficking and sitting with it made me feel like I wanted to talk to you and prepare you for this episode before you start listening. So I wanted to just kind of get you hip to some statistics. So the trafficking of women and children is the world's fastest growing crime. In fact, I majored in history. And what I learned from that was that the human trafficking phenomenon right now is bigger and more at scale than the African-American slave trade. So there are more women uh, and there's also men being sex trafficked than there ever was in the African. American slave trade in United States history. At the moment, there's 25 million estimated people being trafficked. Think about that. There's around 300 million people in the U.S. population. 25 million, that's 8% of the U.S. population. Granted, that's all around the world. But just to give you some perspective, uh, one out of seven endangered runaways. So think about those signs or those news pieces or the person missing in the newspaper. One out of seven endangered runaways reported to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children are likely child sex trafficking victims. Um, The International Labor Organization estimates, you know, as many as 40 million people are being trafficked. So the lower numbers are 25 million, the higher numbers are 40 million, and um, 81% of them are forced in labor, and 75% are women and girls. And by the way, the top three states in the United States for human trafficking are California, New York, and Texas. So you're probably wondering what the hell this looks like, what it means for you, how to make an impact, how to stop it. 
Um, so first of all, where is it? You're going to learn in this episode with Anna and her story. Massage parlors are one of them, um, especially the ones, you know, that you see the curtains really blocking the windows. If you've ever seen those also porn websites, the ads that say, want to talk to me. And it's a picture of a girl and it's looking for a click. Um, there's so many different places that human trafficking is happening and sex trade is happening. It is rampant. Um, and one of the things I want to make a point of now that we've gone into the statistics is trauma. I think a lot of the time women right now, I've heard as many as one out of three women have been violated sexually in some way in their life outside of human trafficking. This is just everyday women like me who haven't gone through something like that. And I myself was molested when I was a young kid. And it's not something that I write about. It's not something that I talk often about, but it's definitely something that I want to share with you in service. Because for the longest time after this happened to me, I thought, you know, it happened only once. It was a family member, you know, in my extended family. And I remember when I started talking about it uh, in therapy to, to face it, I said, well, it only happened once. And the therapist looked at me and she said, that's enough. And that was when I realized that trauma doesn't have to mean that something happens to you many times. Trauma doesn't have to mean that a big thing happened to you. A trauma could happen in a small conversation with someone because trauma isn't about what happens to you. It's about how you hold what happens to you, what beliefs you have about what happens to you. Um, and it, you carry with it throughout the rest of your life until you face it. And one of the things that I found really fascinating about Anna's story was how some people are let down by it. They want more drama subconsciously. They want to hear some sort of stimulating, captivating story about how she was sex trafficked. But the reality is that it's very much more nuanced in society. The way that women are being sex trafficked isn't a huge drama where there's kidnap and ransom necessarily. Um, it's in your everyday um, dysfunctional relationships. It's a young girl dating an older guy, typically. Uh, and so much more you're going to learn through this conversation with Anna. So I just want to prepare you for that. And one of the things that I want to reflect on is how important it is to not dehumanize people. Because at the end of the day, that is how, um, that is one of the behaviors in history that has been studied by researchers that allows us to engage in genocide. Um, Hitler in World War II engaged in dehumanization of the Jews. And I know that a lot of different dictatorships in Africa, that was one of the ways that they justified mass killings was dehumanizing people. So I think it's more important than ever that we look at the people who are trafficking the pimps and we ask bigger questions as a society about what happened along the line in their upbringing that made this an idea that was appealing to them or what illness are they dealing with and how can we also address the root of that so that we're not just stopping trafficking itself, but we're looking at the root cause of what drives people to engage in the sex trade. And what is the line between Hugh Hefner at the Playboy Mansion with a lot of women who suddenly are kind of being paid to have sex and a woman who's being sex trafficked? So all of these questions, you're going to learn the signs, the indicators, uh, what to do when you see it, how to spot it, how to start keeping your eyes open. Because I promise you right now, in the past 30 days, you have walked past a girl being sex trafficked and maybe even a young boy. I promise you that. I know that from having worked in counterterrorism, working in government issues. I'm not an expert on human trafficking. And that is why this episode it moved me. Um, it made me cry at the end. And I'm reporting to you here from Bali after having taken some space from this episode to really just sit with what it brought up for me. And um, I just want to encourage you as you're listening to this story, if you start to realize, and I think it's very possible with how many of you are listening to the show, that maybe something's happened to you in your life. And maybe that relationship that felt abusive in retrospect um, was maybe something more or that maybe you were trafficked. It's I want to just offer you my words of assurance and love that 
it is okay and that you're not what happens to you and that healing is available for you and that you can participate in being a change in these policies. Uh, so it is my fucking honor to be supporting you in learning about this topic. Um, In the coming months, you're going to see us bringing on people from the CIA, people who have participated in gang violence, and I'm going to use their stories as a tool to help educate you on what's really happening um, so that you can start forming opinions about these issues and contributing ones that you're called to. So thank you so much for listening to this. And if it inspires you, if it moves you, or if any of the episodes do, please share it. I, I think that this particular one is really profound to understand the scale of this. So with that said, I want to welcome Anna Patak, who is, uh, you know, an ethical fashion designer, a, a policy consultant, and so much more. I know you're going to be inspired by her story, and you're going to think differently because of it, and I'm so excited for you to tune in. I am so excited to be here. I think this is going to be a really, really great conversation. So thanks for having me. Yeah, please. And for those of you listening, we re-recorded her intro five times. I think I'm just excited to have you. <laughs> Um, it's okay. It's Friday. It's Friday. Friday. It is Friday. Well, when they listen to this, it'll be Tuesday or Wednesday. You turn podcast Wednesday. Well, this is us celebrating Friday then. <laughs> Lord. Um, yeah. so I'm so curious to hear from you, just your story of like for everybody listening, you know, obviously having overcome something like human trafficking, it influences your life and your decisions, but I'm so curious where you were in life and what was going on with you, what chapter of your life you were in when human trafficking, became a reality for you. And I would love for you to kind of share with us like how easy it is for this to happen for so many women, because I think, you know, for me, I see a missing person sign and I wonder like, are they being trafficked? Did they get taken into human trafficking? And there's so many different signs, I think, in society that somebody has been lost lost to, you know, what is modern day slave trade. So I'm curious if you could share a little bit about your reality with it. Yeah, of course. So I think whenever I share my experience, I always start from the beginning of like where the rooted issues were that made me more vulnerable to it, um, more susceptible. So like growing up, I was adopted into an American family. So I'm Indian and they were white and I grew up in a predominantly white environment. So like I had a whole issue of, you know, lack of self-worth, wishing I could belong somewhere, feeling like I didn't belong. Um, developed an eating disorder. I was sexually abused. All this kind of stuff happened throughout my childhood. I was beaten and emotionally abused by another family member. So like I had all of these identity issues, all of the desire to be loved, uh, things like that. And then I hit high school. And so when I was a junior in high school, um, all of this story part took place between 17 and 19 years old. I don't remember the exact dates. Um, but I was working in a movie theater and when I was working there, I met a projectionist and he heard about my love for music. And he's like, well, do you want to take guitar lessons for free? I was like, what is every high schooler's favorite word free? And so we started the lessons and he started telling me things I wanted to hear. Like, you're beautiful. You're amazing. I want to spend time with you. These are the things that this abandoned, neglected girl needed to hear. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like he really thinks these things of me. So we began a romantic relationship, um, during these lessons. And then one day I got kicked out of my house for bad behavior. I think parents, like they did everything they knew how to. So I was a bad kid and all this stuff getting, you know, suspended, things like that. So I didn't have anywhere to go cause I'm still in high school. He's like, well, why don't you come live with me? You know, we're already dating. And to me, because of what I'd seen the relationships growing up with my parents, dating younger people, 
it seemed normal. Like this didn't seem weird. Mm -hmm. And so moved in with him a few months into it. Uh, well, everything seemed normal. We moved in together and everybody's like, that's not normal to be in with. Like, what are you thinking? Again, what I saw growing up made me feel comfortable with it. So a few months into it, he asked me to be a part of his art project. He was like, you know, you could be my number one model. You are amazing. You're beautiful. And I was like, Oh, I could be his number one model. Okay, sure. So they were very innocent at first, and then they became more sexual and forced to do unthinkable things. But what I will say is one day I was looking at the calendar in the kitchen, and I was like, what are these tally marks? And he's like, oh, it's how many times we've made love, quote unquote. And I was like, okay. I just believed him. I didn't realize he was tracking a business. What does that mean? Like he was keeping track of how many times I was raped. I was just kind of like, okay, whatever. There were times I would wake up. I'd been sleepwalking. I didn't know what had happened to me. I was naked on the kitchen floor. And he's like, oh, or I was pulling me back up. There were times I would wake up on the kitchen floor or wherever naked. And I was like, what happened to me? He was like, oh, you were just sleepwalking. And I was like, okay. I just believed him because I was like, how could this guy ever hurt me? Mm. Again, I was in high school at this time. So my friends were just like, you know, this seems weird, but she seems happy. So like they didn't know how to intervene. This is in the early 2000s. This is, you know, before there was a lot of awareness. Um, something else that happened, I remember one day I was at the grocery store with him. And I remember I walked to the other aisle and he came and found me. He's like, don't leave me. I love you. I want to spend all this time with you. And mm. I was like, okay. So I stayed close. Mm -hmm. And But there was never any chains or anything like that. I think one misconception about human trafficking is that they think you're chained to a bed, that you're kidnapped, that you're taken somewhere. That's not always the case. For me, my chains were invisible. I didn't even know what was happening to me. I remember my teachers would call and they were just like, where are you? Because I wasn't at school. And they're, I'm like, oh, I'm laying in bed all day with my boyfriend. And they were like, Anna, get to school. This is weird. And I just didn't listen. Then also another situation was that I remember I went to the doctor with him and he was being examined for Bell's palsy. And I remember the doctor looked at me and he's like, who's the girl? And he was like, and I'm sure you'll post my headshot. Like, I look young now. I know. But <laughs> he, uh, he was like, who's the girl? And my trafficker was just like, oh, that's my girlfriend. And versus like saying, let me ask more questions. He looked at his paperwork and just kept going. Like he didn't even ask. But again, this is the early 2000s. There was a lack of awareness and probably HIPAA issues. I don't know. Um, and so this all goes on for about a year and a half. And I remember one day he started talking about marriage and I was like, I don't want to get married to this guy. And I'm in high school. And so I tell you, my strong-willed personality, honestly, is what saved me from this. Mm -hmm. So um, a girl at the movie theater was looking for a roommate. So I started moving my stuff in quietly with her. Like, an example, he'd be like, where's your hoodie? I'm like, oh, I left it at school. And he'll be like, okay. And then one day I got fired from the movie theater. And that was my clean break because back then there was no social media. There was no none of that. Like, he couldn't just find me. And then, like... He asked my friends at the theater, like, do you know where Anna is? And they're like, this is weird. He keeps asking where she is. So they didn't say anything. They're like, we don't know. They knew where I was. Hmm. Um, so I kind of just put that out of my mind because, again, to me, it was just an at-home art project, you know, like 20 pictures. So then in, a few years later, I had lunch with some of the girls from the theater just catching up, seeing how they're doing. And they were like, Anna, something weird is going on. I'm like, what? So like he keeps asking girls 
to be a part of his art project. And I was like, wait, what? That was our special thing. Why would he do that? Like, I don't understand. To clarify, when you say art project, do you talk about the photography and them being a model? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So then in 2009, I found out he died of colon cancer. Wow. And when I found out he died, I was like, the first thing I thought was, I need to get those pictures back. I need to get those pictures back. I don't want his family to see them. I don't want them to think badly about him. So I saw his sister because, again, he had taken me everywhere. I knew his family. Like, I knew, you know, his friends. And he, like, I went to his sister. I said, hey, there's some stuff at the house. Can I go back and get it? And she's like, I have what you're looking for. They're in my safe. We'll meet up at a different time. I was like, okay. So she meets up with me a few months later. She gives me this huge box. I was like, what the heck did I leave there that it was this big? And I get home and I opened it. And that's when I found out he mass produced everything. There was hundreds, if not thousands of pictures, black and whites, eight by tens, you name it. So at this point, I was still like, why would he do this and not tell me? That was my thought process. So I just put the pictures under my bed, kept on with my life. And then I remember I was watched Taken. And I was like, oh, human trafficking. This is interesting. I was like, it's overseas. It's not here. And then I learned more because I thought, oh, it's just kidnapping and it's you take people overseas or whatever. And then I started learning more about it. And I was reading a story one day and it said, young girl meets older guy. Older guy asked her to do an art project and it kept going. And it was the same thing as my story. And I was like, what? What happened to me was human trafficking? Like, and that's when I put the... I put it all together and that's when everything hit me. And so I ended up going into a program called Mercy Multiply and I graduated in 2012 and it is a faith-based program and it was the best decision I ever made. But like, I always tell people my chains are invisible. They'll be like, you know, he was your boyfriend. You, you lived with him. You were dating. And I'm like, it was all a lie. Like, I mean, maybe he loved me. I don't know. He's dead. I don't care. But like, um, I found out later, actually, this is important too. Later I found out, um, I remember I went to the printing company cause I knew where he made the copies and they were just like, I said, do you remember this guy? They're like, yeah, he's friends with so-and-so and he comes in the middle of the night, and makes copies of his art project. I said, well, would you recognize some of the girls? He's like, yeah. So I showed him a picture was actually of me and I was fully clothed. It's just a B roll shot. Like I'm sitting on the side, fully clothed. It's not sexual or anything like that wrapped in a blanket. And, um, I showed it to him and he was like, Whoa, who is she? Oh my gosh. Like I would have called the police. And I said, that girl was me. He's like, are you serious? He's like, I would have called the police if I saw a girl look like that. So that's when I found out there were other girls. Mm -hmm. Then I think I was the only girl at the time though, but I found out there were other girls and my thing is I never saw exchange of money. However, I know you don't have multiple girls working for you. You don't make hundreds, if not thousands of copies to keep them from your, keep them for yourself. Like you just don't do that. So that's kind of like how everything happened and how I came to the place I am. But, um, it's really weird when people meet me, they're just like, it's weird how people get disappointed with my story. It's hilarious. They'll just meet me and they hear my story and they're like, they're let down. They're like, wait, you weren't kidnapped? Mm. Wait, you weren't, you weren't taken? You weren't chained to a bed? Mm. And I'm, I look at them and I'm like, really? Mm. Really? Really? That's like looking at domestic violence victims and saying, oh, you were only beat, beaten once? Yeah. Oh, 
but you're beaten for five times. Oh, just one. Uh, you know, yeah. it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. The things. Listening to you, it just strikes so many chords for me because when I was a little girl, I was molested once by a family member. And I remember thinking, oh, well, it only happened once. And I remember the first time I went to therapy to talk about it, which my brain suppressed the entire memory until I was like yeah. 16. So I'm curious maybe if you've had some like weird memories come up for you because I know psychologically sometimes you get these flashbacks, which I'm sure is so difficult. In my case, um, I remember going to the therapist and saying, well, it happened once. And she was like, that's enough. That's enough yeah. times for it to happen. I also, I, I like that there's a simplicity in your story because I think uh, when it comes to social issues, we complicate them and we dramatize them because it makes it more stimulating for people to talk about, I think, or yeah. it creates this sense of mystery. Um, also, I think in my earlier years, I was in a relationship with a guy who was a narcissist and there was a lot of gaslighting and him helping me, mm-hmm. him kind of making me doubt myself. And obviously like my journey in personal development has helped me heal so much of it. And I'm writing a book right now for Hay House about all of it. But what I'm finding- That's great. Yeah, I'm really, but what I'm finding in just listening to you is I'm sure everybody listening, there's so many questions and um, I'm I'm wanting to understand, um, you know, like what is your assumption in those moments where he's taking tallies? Is it that he's getting paid for his art projects where he's using you and people are having sex with you? Like what is, or, or rape, like how, what is the business model? How did this guy monetize his relationship with you? I have zero idea, how honestly. I just know it, whatever he was tracking, either he was a sick individual, which you know he is a sick individual for what he did. So I have no idea. I just know the tally marks. Every time something sexual happened, it was on the calendar. Mm. So that's all I know. And I mean, I don't, I actually found out later that he, I went to see, go to see psychiatrists for medication and stuff. And he, I remember I found out later that he was going to the same doctor as me. He was being taken there because he had mental issues. I'm like, you think, you think, um, what a clusterfuck. Yeah. I think that with like something that people don't realize and this, this could be another podcast or now or whatever about the link between pornography and sex trafficking and how it fuels demand. When I went into his house, I saw bookcases of porn. Did he make it himself? I have no idea. Mm. But I remember like when you watch pornography, it like basically you get desensitized and like, you know, we were talking about like, Oh, you know, soft porn. And they're like, that's not good enough. Cause your brain reacts the same way when it does drugs. So it's like, Oh, do we, well, that's not enough. Oh, I need heroin. Then you keep going harder and harder. It's the same thing. That's why the, the age number with being bought for sex is going down. Is that meaning like for sexually, like there's a level of stimulation for them to be pursuing different age ranges or what do you mean by that? So when I say about the age range, so basically you watch soft porn after a while, it doesn't fulfill you because it's like, it's the same thing as when you're watching or when you're smoking weed and they're like, Oh, that's not enough. I'm right. going to switch to heroin. Right. So when you're watching it and you go to soft porn, well then you go to more violent porn, then the violent porn is enough. So you buy a person and you know, they'll start, okay, I'll do 18. Well, the 18 year old isn't doing it. So let's get a 16 year old. I mean, I've seen cases, multiple cases where it's like six month olds and it's disgusting. And like I, when I see those, like I don't read those articles cause I just can't, but cause I have really, I have really strict boundaries for certain things. And, um, Oh yeah. Like when you think about that, like you think about how disgusting it is. And I don't know if you saw, but the CEO of Backpage, which is a huge escort 
site, which was flooded with child, I do not like to word, use the word prostitute. I think it is very, it defines people in the wrong way. So I always say girl in prostitution, boy in prostitution. It was flooded with that. And they finally got the CEO because when you're fighting these pornography cases, you're thinking, they're thinking, you want to argue it as a violation of freedom of speech, but there's so many legal implications with that. And now we're able to do that more. Mm. Um, so that's kind of how pornography fits into it. But with pornography can be a variety of different things, you know, it could be hand job. It could be something, I don't know, but it's just, um, yeah, it's a, it's a huge thing when it comes to fueling the demand and stuff like that. Now, as far as things that like I, cause you were asking, I think earlier about like not boundaries, but kind of how I deal with things when they pop up. Is yeah. that, was that your question? Yeah. yeah just like so, memories or flashbacks. Yeah. Um, well, of course I'm going to have flashbacks. I'm in a pretty good spot now, but I was very blessed in my program that they did not try to fix you. They taught you coping skills. So when things pop up, you know how to do them. But I also believe that God's only give you what you hand, what you can handle. And so like, you're going to be stuff will come up when it's time. And, uh, so when things come up, I know how to call a safe person. Um, there's a few things that I cannot do. I will not watch movies where women are screaming. I just can't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, that one. And I don't watch movies on human trafficking. I do have one that's like my absolute favorite. It's called stopping traffic. It's incredible. Um, because they do more of a, like, let's get you involved and fight this crime versus this is a story that happened. Mm. Um, and then what are my other I boundaries? I have to say though, Anna, like the yeah. stories are what I think make people want to get involved, you know, because it's like, yeah. it's so compelling that I can't really see the solution without people like really steeping in the story, like a tea bag, you know, it's like really sitting in this and hearing your experience. And I also, I'm just curious, like what, what is the, what was the age gap between you and him at the time, approximately 20 some years. Okay. And I know that yeah. we live in a world where it's not unusual for like the young woman to be with the older guy. And it's such a fine line of when there's a maturity where the woman has the awareness to make real choices for herself and, and without being gaslit or convinced. What is the typical, is there just to educate me and everybody listening, is there a typical person that gets targeted for this? Oh yeah. Typical person who gets targeted is somebody is usually, this is why taken is so inaccurate. Like it is never the girl with the wealthy supportive family. It is nine times out of 10, either a girl who has no self-worth, no family, no, um, support, uh, same thing with boys. That's the kind of person who is targeted runaways, like, and it's just becoming so much easier with the ability to connect with people through social media, through Snapchat. Um, a lot of traffickers use, uh, phone services like kick or something where it's not saved, but it's just an easy way to get a hold of people and connect. Um, and you know, at schools, I mean, there's just so many different ways, but, um, but the primarily huge targets are the kids, girls, boys who do not have a good family situation, have abandonment issues, lack of self-worth, who've been abused, those kinds of things. 
we all get angry about Taken. We're like, come on, mm-hmm. like be a little bit more accurate, but mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, it does happen that way, but yeah, it's not no. very likely. I feel like that with counterterrorism, it's like people are like, yeah. are people blowing their heads off. I'm like, well, yeah, but I was not in the field, you know, like it would be video footage or I was behind a computer in Washington, D.C. Like, yes, it's an interesting career path, but I think what's most interesting for people is their imagination and where it goes. So I totally get it. And I think it's really interesting that we can kind of pop that balloon and say this. And I actually find something disturbing about how easy that was for that to happen to you. And I think anybody yeah. listening right now, it's like, think about it. How easy is it for an older guy who's a little bit twisted um, to convince a vulnerable girl to trust him and have a relationship with him? And and then how easy is it for him to convince her to push her limits if she's not feeling secure with herself or with her life in exchange for his love or whatever it is that he's giving her? Like, this makes sense to me. Would you say, just from your knowledge of trafficking, that this is a common occurrence of how it really looks or is there any such thing as how it really looks this is definitely very common every time I meet a girl it's the same story they met a guy he was that father figure or that boyfriend figure and he grooms them meaning that pretty much like what happened with me for the six months during the the musical lessons the guitar lessons and um, he said all the things I wanted to hear. He offered me that security, that support that I needed. And then, you know, um, I have one girl who I think it was like either her coach or something. She was playing sports in college and it was through that way. But, um, you, usually the story is the same every single time that met someone, they trusted them. They built that father figure, things like that. And then that's how it happens. I don't really know anybody who is kid. I think I know two people who are kidnapped. Wow. Out of the hundreds of the overcomers that I know. Wow. That's mind blowing to me because honestly, it just shows anybody listening how much bigger of an issue. Because I think when people think of the kidnapping and the drama behind it, they think, well, that's just so outlandish. Like, how do they do that? That's such a, you know, like like you were saying with Taken, which ironically, I ran into that actress at a party recently. And I was like, I was like, I recognize her. Where do I recognize her from? And then she's like, I was in that movie Taken. But, you know, so interesting synchronicity. But I think it is really fascinating, and I'm curious to kind of understand, um, was there any moment, I'm sure there was, where, because I know I, I myself, like having dated somebody who has a narcissist personality disorder, I get how powerful it is to be gaslit, where you are convinced yeah. not to trust yourself, your thoughts, you second guess your thoughts, and where yeah. were your parents during all of this, even though there was some instability there? They were around, but they didn't really play that parent role because honestly, I think with parents, especially now, I saw this video the other day, someone posted of like parenting in 2050 and it's like, you know, do you want to go to bed? But you don't have to, if you don't want to, if you want to stay up and be creative, but just get a little, you know, like it's so easy to take that hands off approach now because everybody's judging everybody. And so social media wasn't a thing, but like you, there is never a wrong reason to protect your child, like, or there's never a reason you shouldn't protect your child. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's sometimes like, don't overstep, but like when you see your kid developing a relationship with someone 20 years older and they're in high school, I'm sorry. That's when you get in there. I have a lot of men who approach me now who are advocates and they are just like, they always come to be like, I'm so sorry. No one did anything. They're like, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. I would have stepped in and, you know, and I was going to church and stuff. And just like nobody stepped in. And 
I honestly, people ask me, what would it have taken for you to not stay there? And I honestly do not know how to answer that. Mm-hmm. I know what it would have prevented in the first place is if I had a stable upbringing, no abandonment issues, but that's kind of it. I remember my best friend, she was like, this is weird and everything, but you know, I didn't listen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I'm also just curious, I think, you know, not when you, maybe the moment you realized something was off, but when you look back, I'm sure you see like these little red flags here or there. Um, and before there was like any brainwashing or anything like that, um, what were, what are some indicators for someone right now who's listening, who maybe they have that older boyfriend and something feels off? Like you said that this is very standard. So what are some red flags that might not actually be so obvious for someone who might be en route to a situation where, it, it looks like your reality that you experienced. Um, I don't know if it's things that they might see. I think it's going to be a perspective that they don't have meaning. Okay. Like they, you know, a lot of times pimps will get them really expensive gifts fairly early on because that's attractive and that's glamorous. And with the culture we have these, this day, it's like, Ooh, the nicer, the better. Um, And so you'll see them buying really expensive gifts early on. You'll see the isolation Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like things like that. If they're branding you, branding, it's like like cattle, putting ownership on you in the form of a tattoo. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, things like that. Like porn as well. Like, is it typical for a lot of pimps to have a large porn collection? Like, if they go into their house and they kind of look and they're like, "Wow, there's a lot of this here," or is that just on a case by case? I don't know the stats on that, but I would definitely say that that's probably true. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, I think what really comes down to it is just knowing what a healthy relationship looks like, because then you'll easily be able to spot what it doesn't look like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, what blows my mind and I could talk to everybody because after episodes, I usually do a conversation on my own is, you know, a lot of women who get targeted by narcissists and I can't help but parallel it just because there's a level of like not trusting yourself when you're in a relationship with somebody like that. And you know how they talk about love bombing where they give you all of this love in the beginning to get your trust and connection with them. Um, and I find that a lot of successful, confident women end up with them. So I think that it, even if, you know, with trafficking, it's like there is an element of instability in your family or low self-esteem. I just want to point out that there's a lot of women who have high self-esteem allegedly, and they have their careers in order and they're empowered and they end up in relationships that are abusive. So I'm curious to hear from you, Anna, you, you talked about runaways. Um, and I just couldn't help but like wrap my head around like, there's a lot of recruiting over social media. I'm curious to kind of understand, like, do they take jobs, for example, at the movie theater on purpose to bring women into their life? Um, do they, and it doesn't have to be a movie theater, but you know what I mean, these sorts of jobs where they can find these sorts of women? Or is it that they sit around at a park where they know there's a lot of kids who are troubled? Like, where do you find these pimps that are waiting to prey on somebody? Absolutely everywhere. Um, so with runaways, yeah, typically it's people on the streets who will take them in and be like, come be a part of our family, like gangs. Gangs is a huge thing. Gangs are actually known for getting kids to recruit kids in school. So like, they'll be like, Hey, you want to come join our family? You want to come hang out? And 
you know, when you're dealing with a gang, it's terrifying to try to escape from that. I mean, the gangs are like already intimidating just knowing about them, you know? And, um, I know one that was kind of unique was there was an ice cream truck in a neighborhood in a very low income neighborhood. And it would come around at midnight and it's like, who the heck, what the heck, like what kid needs to get ice cream at midnight? I mean, seriously. Uh, and so like things like that, where they would build that relationship and I don't know if they would take them. I don't really know what happened, but I do know that that was like a big type of like possible trafficking situation. Um, but yeah, they're everywhere. They're online, they're at malls, they're, you know, and it's like, I, when I speak in person, I always do this example. I go into the, to the audience and I find a girl who's dressed really cute and I give her a compliment. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so cute. I love your, I was like, wait, can I borrow your phone really quick? And she's like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. And I'm like, I hold it. I'm like, that's how easy it is. That's how easy it is for them to get connected. All they need is either your phone information, your social media information, or like, you know, they compliment you. They start that conversation. There's just, it's just so easy these days. And I think also another issue we have is the, the glamorizing of pimping people. When you say sugar daddy, they're like, Oh, that's a man who will take care of me and buy me nice things. No sugar daddy is another name for pimp. Pimping is trafficking or you'll see these songs and stuff. They're like, get with my pimping or whatever. And it's like, that is trafficking. Pimping is trafficking. And so this idea of someone taking care of you and buying you these expensive things is normal. And, it, and it's exciting, you know, and you think about a lot of the girls who were playboy, lived in the playboy mansion, like they were attracted to that. And then they realized what was going on. And everybody's like, Oh, that's hot. Or they'll be like, Oh, I want a girl who's a porn star. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> it's just, there's a lot of societal understandings that we have to change um, in order to really understand the root of why human trafficking happens and things like that. Got it. So. Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Career Clarity Lab, the online course to help you find your career purpose in the workforce and upgrade your confidence. So if you're ready to unlock the best career path for you and you'd like to try a free version of our Clarity course, just head on over to uturnpodcast.com slash clarity. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash clarity. Now let's get back to this week's episode. And also, I mean, I know that in your case, there's a lot of mystery around how he was, I'm, I'm guessing he was using the photos to make money, like submitting it online, or I don't really know what your, do you have an assumption on what he or what a pimp would be using pictures like that for? Oh, for mine, he was definitely, I mean, I'm 99% nine sure he was selling them. I don't know how. Um, I found out later he learned how to use a computer, um, but I don't know what happened. I haven't tried to search. There's no point. It's moot. There's yeah. just no way. Yeah. But, um, I get that. Yeah. If they had pictures, another thing that pimps do with the pictures is they threaten to tell your family. Mm. They're like, mine didn't, but like, they'll be like, if you do anything, we're going to show these to your family and you're going to be outcast from them. Um, and so it's another method of control. Mm. Uh, so not only are they profiting off of it, they're using it as a method of control, uh, and things like that. 
So, and um, to understand how pimps monetize this, and so I'm curious because I know that you kind of have now a bird's eye view, having taken some steps back and healed, which I'm really curious about your healing and how you did that. But I'm curious for you to paint a picture for everybody of like, how is this a business? Because I know that not every single pimp who is seducing and softening, you know, a young woman is doing so just for some sort of sick interest. I know that it's a total business and that there are ways it stays alive. So can you kind of paint a picture of, I mean, for lack of a better term, the business model of human trafficking typically? Yeah, so the business model is pretty easy. There's demand. Yeah, I mean, pretty much you profit. Like the difference between sexual exploitation and human trafficking is the commercial element. And so like, girls, if you take a picture you know, um, by yourself or whatever, there's no sexual stuff. And then it's not like sold. There's no commercial, the commercial part is, so I'm sure it's money is fueling the whole process, greed, uh, brokenness, things like that. Like, it's just, it's kind of like what you're saying with narcissists, what made them that way in the beginning is probably because they were abused or something happened Mm -hmm. and it caused them to be the way they are. So it's, it's definitely money driven greed and stuff like that. And how do they, I'm so sorry to like, I just don't understand still. And so I'm guessing everybody listening, it's like, how do they turn these pictures into money? Because a lot of people don't understand the porn industry. You know what I mean? And how do they turn their art project or the rape, uh, you know, that they have a woman and they're getting her, you know, rape situations often. How do they turn that into funds? Like, does it, is it prostitution kind of like in Amsterdam, the red light district, which obviously is more consensual, but a situation where they have you waiting or, or not you, but anyone waiting and they charge a certain amount to have them come in and have sex with you. Like, how does that, I just don't get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a variety of things. So yeah, they're going to make money off of someone buying you for sex or commercial sex. Um, But then they're also probably going to like post it online. And like these, I mean, there's so many porn websites. Um, So they'll probably profit off that way. Like if they're selling them directly to someone, like the pictures, things like that. So it's kind of like if you have a photography business, how do you make your money? You get clients, you sell it, you you produce mass production of the photos and sell them that way. So it's like there's a lot of different ways that they can monetize that. And but it those also are the just main ones. feels like the porn industry, like there's so much porn on the internet. I'm almost like there's so much free porn on the internet. So I'm curious to understand, yeah. like the entrepreneur in me is like, how are they making a business out of this because they need to first find their clients. So it's like, where do they find their clients? And if they're trafficking somebody and and putting them in a rape situation, do they have like a brick and mortar? Do they have a front? Like, where are they hosting um, typically in these situations? And I'm so sorry if I'm asking, I don't know. I just don't get it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, you yeah, they may not be making money like when they're posting it, but you maybe there's ads. I don't know. But I just know that pimps are smart. They're very, very smart. They know exactly what they're doing and they know how to do it well. And it's really hard to keep up with them. Um, but with the right legislation, the right funding for these advocacy groups and nonprofits, like that's that's our biggest weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our other biggest weapon is like changing these laws to get them where like right now it's really, really hard that if we get a pimp in jail, like I'm sure you've seen with rape cases, they'll get like six months. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, come on, because the difference between, you know, drug use in trafficking is like drugs, you throw them away you know, you're done with them, like, or they're used once they're done with a person, you can sell them over and over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And 
So I feel like in these criminal cases, we need to be doing it per sexual act, but it's really hard to, you know, categorize that. So we're having to do these human trafficking cases under different legislation just to get them jail time. Mm -hmm. It's disgusting. And the other type of legislation that we've got is like attempting to prosecute Johns. Johns are the buyers. Um, And I know in North Carolina where I live, the first time is a misdemeanor. The second time is a felony. The reason they do that is because these Johns half the time are like CEOs, celebrities, things like that. They don't want to have their names slaughtered. So they're like, okay, we'll do a misdemeanor if you help us with other stuff on the case. Yeah. Um, and this is fascinating yeah. too, because it's a fine line between like being a high-end escort, you know, versus being pimped out. And so I'm kind of yeah. curious, like the, the thing that, the question that I have the most, and then I want to hear about your healing and whatever policy changes you can recommend or what we can do, because I know having worked in government that there have been some times where I've, I've been kind of hip to this and I've seen a situation where I'm like, oh wow, I think she's being trafficked and there, I don't know what to do. So I also yeah. want to help people by the end of this conversation, be able to identify it potentially and have any insights on what they might be able to do. Um, but in the meantime, it's like just helping people wrap their head around it is, you know, I still don't understand and, and maybe you don't either. And that could be part of the mystery here, how these people are getting their clients. Like, yes, people want to buy sex um, and they want men want sex and even women too. Right. But it's like nobody's posting that on the internet. So how are they figuring out who their clients are to be paying? And is it recurring clients? Like just kind of curious about the logistics for people to wrap their head around it. Yeah, no, I mean, the clients know where to go. They know where to go. So like you're saying online, yeah, it's being posted online. Like if you go to like, sometimes you'll see on the the sided bar in your Google search and it says, uh, Asian, I don't know, Asian girls ready to talk now or, or something like that. Like you'll see these pop-ups or something like that. Like that is trafficking, you know, like that's most likely trafficking. Um, and then there's other ways they know. So one time I saw this was years ago, um, it was a taco service. So the taco, a taco delivery service. So they would deliver it and it would have the information where the girls are. So then they go buy them. Um, then you've got websites so they know like anybody who's buying sex knows about back page. Like they knew what back page was. Another part is like at truck stops. Um, luckily there's this incredible organization called truckers against trafficking and they're training different trucking companies, but you can train them all day. There's still going to be people who don't follow the law. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of businesses at truck stops, massage parlors is a really big place. Asian massage parlors. How you can identify that is you'll see one, if they're open in the middle of the night, why the heck would you have a freaking massage parlor open in the middle of the night, whatever. So, mm. um, but you'll see like the, usually it's like white curtains covering it up. You can't see inside. You never see anybody go inside or out. So that's a common place. Strip clubs, like all these places, like, you know, that could be right in front of your face. Um, and I mean, there are certain types of parts of town where you could find like, you know, street walkers and, and things yeah. like that. But I think the yeah. most direct thing, um, you know, living, growing up in LA, I remember I went to a Hollywood Hills party and I had no idea what I was getting into. And it was like a porn party. And I remember there was porn like being broadcast on the walls from the internet. And I remember seeing these banner ads literally on it saying, um, like, want to talk exactly what you're saying, like, want to talk or girl ready to like, whatever. And so it's, it's really fascinating to me to hear that they're basically paying for ads. They get men to click. And, and to me, having worked in e-courses, honestly, for lack of a better reference, I understand paid traffic and you get clicks and then you engage yeah. and then it becomes a customer. So to 
me, the entrepreneur in me, I was, unfortunately is now satisfied understanding it. So that makes sense. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah, I can see this business model. Okay. And for anybody listening who um, maybe they have, because I think a lot of women, you know, like for me having been molested as a kid, but I know a lot of women have a tough memory and they don't process it. They don't share it. They normalize it because it, they have to survive the fact that that happened to them. And it's, it's, ten, it's tempting to, you know, disconnect from a memory or justify it. Um, what can you say to somebody listening right now that might have a really um, odd memory be coming up for them as they're listening to this and realizing that maybe they were in a trafficking situation? There is a nonprofit you can call and well, there's two. You could call Polaris, the Polaris Project in DC and they can refer you somewhere locally. Um, they can answer any questions that you have. They're a really safe environment just to talk to. The other one is Safe Horizon. That's actually when I realized what happened to me, I didn't know where to call. And I think I Googled human trafficking organizations and Safe Horizon popped up. It's in Jersey. And they referred me to NC Casa in North Carolina. And um, these types of places, if you're in L.A., Cast L.A. is incredible. Um, and they will happy to help you find a counselor, direct you to certain places or whatever, um, to get help. Cause even, I remember when I first made the cause, like, was I really trafficked? Did this really happen? I mean, yeah. he wouldn't lie to me. And I was in that whole, like, I don't want to say denial, but confusion. I was just like, did this really happen? And, you know, they helped me get to connected with the right people. But I do know that if, you know, if it really did happen, you deserve help. And if it didn't, you deserve to have help to understand that. Mm-hmm. And it's always a journey. People always meet like, you're so inspiring. You're like a hundred percent healed. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I'm not. But you know, I'm at a really high level, but like, it's like I said, I have those safe people in my life. My husband is great. Um, mm. and stuff. My little doggies are wonderful. They love me no matter what, luckily, um, <laughs> luckily, and, uh, luckily, gosh, for babies, if you're a dog mom, you get it. You yeah, totally, I totally am. <laughs> but yeah, I know the people like the dog moms listening, they're going to be like, yes, girl. Yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. So it's, those are just great resources, but whether it happened, whether it didn't, you went through something bad and you deserve to be heard and you deserve help. Mm-hmm. And it's really overwhelming. You know, I had so many panic attacks in the beginning and, um, you know, it was so hard and processing it, you know, you remember the, like the horrible things that happened you have to put the dots together. So it's a, it's a long journey, but it's a doable journey only if you start getting help and talking about it. Gosh, so helpful. I just felt like the chills. I, I remember um, being at a wedding in Atlanta and talking to one of the bridesmaids. I was um, giving a speech and she was saying she works for a trafficking organization and I'm just punching myself. I don't remember the name, but right then and there, I wrote her a check and just said like, thank you. And this is just something that really moves me. And I'm curious to understand for anybody listening who wants to help, um, how can they not be like I was where I looked at someone and thought, I think this is a trafficking situation. And can you kind of shed some light just in the last few minutes about the laws and, you know, how difficult it is to actually handle this? Yeah, no, um, the basically the biggest thing is don't get involved. Don't get involved. Call. Um, so unfortunately in this world, there's a lot of corruption. Um, and it's a real thing. Um, 
And so if you call the Polaris Project hotline, and this is also the number you could call to um, if you want to talk about your story and like try to find some resources, it's called the number is one eight 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 three seven three seven eight eight eight. So that's one with three eights, three seven, three seven, three more eights. Um, and basically call them because they partner with local organizations. They know exactly who to call, let them know about it. And for those who don't study law and don't understand it, one little detail can change the entire case. Mm. Um, I think OJ is kind of like an example, unfortunately, where it's like, you know, he had all these things and the glove didn't fit and everything was different, you know? And, um, And you know, like that's an example. What an annoying example! Yeah. Oh my gosh, that guy, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's yeah. He just. mm. But um, yeah, like it's an example. Like one little thing can change the entire case. So anything that you report is still important because they can tell the cops who work on these cases, like I know usually in the police department, there might be two that are detectives designated to this kind of crime, depending on the city you're in and how big your the police department is. Um, there's usually like a designated FBI agent. I mean, you know, these kinds of things. Yeah. So it's really important to report it and not get involved because not only are you putting yourself in danger, you're putting the girl or the boy who's being trafficked in danger. Um, Traffickers are smart. They could pick up and move in a day and be completely gone, no paper trail. Um, And one time I saw this story on the news and I was like banging my head against the law after I watched it. This lady found a note in her clothes and it said, help me. And it gave, I don't remember if it gave a phone number or it gave a name or something. And so the woman called the clothing company. And I was just like, don't do that because this person, like a lot of main brands are made by slaves and like in Thailand or something like that in sweatshops. And so now you just put this person in danger because if they do figure out who it is, then they're going to, you know, Mm. They might insult them or hurt them or something. So it's really important not to get involved. Just report it. Let the people handle it. Don't try to be a hero. You're a hero by just reporting it. Like, that's important. So for everybody listening, I guess my invitation would be to grab your phone right now, open up your contacts, and add to your contacts 888-373-888 so that that way, um, you know, they are able to make that call. And what are some things they could do? Like take a cell phone picture very discreetly or something like that? Um, I would just maybe you could maybe just jot down in your phone or something what they're wearing, where they are, the time, who is with them, what do they look like? Like, is it a guy with them? Um, I remember, and this is so ironic. We were at like one of the biggest national anti or human trafficking conferences in the world. And I remember a bunch of the overcomers we met in the lobby because we're like, let's go out to dinner. And I remember we all looked over at the bar in the lobby and we saw a girl who was working and we were like, are you kidding me? And so some of the girls approached her and like, Hey, what's your name? She's like, she didn't speak very good English or anything like that. And she's like, yeah, I have a friend up there. She's with, um, you know, somebody. She'll be down here and we're going to go. And they're like, "Are is she turning a trick? And the girl looked at her like weird. And it's like we all wanted to be like, come with us. Like, come on, get out of it. But we couldn't. We had to report it so they could handle it. But we knew we paid attention to what she was looking like. We paid attention to her mannerisms. 
who was with her because I don't think a pimp was with her. I think that she was turning tricks um, with different men in the hotel, and she had another girl with her. What does turning um, tricks mean? Uh, prostitution. Okay. Prostituting. Got yeah. it. And um, just some fast, hard statistics. Like, can, can you just help everybody now that they've listened to your story, wake them up to how much this is happening? Yeah, the U.S. is the number one destination in the entire world for human trafficking. Uh, we, let's see here, usually I think the average age is between 12 and 14 years old. But like I said, I've seen cases of little girls. And it's the number, it is the number two crime in the country. Um, drugs is right above it. It's number two. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's such a big, big issue and, um, but I think if everybody just kind of like does, takes their part and does something, if you don't have the time, donate some money. If you don't have the money, maybe get with your girlfriends and like, see if you can donate any clothes or new toiletries to a local nonprofit. I mean, local nonprofits will never turn away donations, um, and stuff like that. I mean, and I think also what's really important is remembering that it's not just girls you're dealing with boys. I believe boys are, gosh, I think with like certain parts of human tracking, 50, they make up 54%. Um, there is only one home for boys in the entire country for boys who've been sexually trafficked. It's in Greenville, North Carolina called Restore One. They actually asked me to be a, a co-founder, but I decided no, because I wanted to go study somewhere else. And they just opened it this year. It's called the Anchor House. Mm. And um, so we have that. But then we also need to pay attention to the LBT. LBGTQ population. They're a huge at-risk population. Um, and my thing is, regardless of your faith, everybody deserves services. Yeah. Um, so that's something really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just there's just a lot of things. And, and when you say boys, is it the opposite, where they have an older woman that is luring them in, or is it an older man and maybe they're bisexual or gay? Like, what does the situation for that look like? I think it's usually men over them. Okay. And I mean, I have a friend, he was bought by a governor, um, in one of the States and, um, things like that. So yeah, the only time I think I usually hear that they're with men. Okay. Um, and they tend to have sexual intercourse usually with men. Um, yeah. And how can everybody learn from you or support what you're doing, um, right now? Who's listening? Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on all my social media accounts with Mrs. Anna Patak. Um, my website's in development right now, but, um, yeah, you can just follow me, uh, learn more about what I do there. Or, um, I have clothing throughout the year that's available right now. The only thing that's available is my December dress, but, um, that, and if you want to hire me as a speaker, definitely reach out and we can continue the conversation. Thank you there. so much, Anna. I'm so grateful for this yes. conversation, truly. And I can't wait to unpack it and share more statistics for everybody who listens. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode.